0: Have you
1: thought
0: this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll like, never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try and tell that? Why can't
1: you be normal like anybody else? All right. For your parents' norms too? The savvy
0: entrepreneur to the rescue! Congratulations. That really turned out well. Well, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of How did
1: you do that? I'm so glad you're here. You're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show, everybody. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM from the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, or you want to be one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years. I've seen a lot of mistakes, and I've made a lot of mistakes. The show has two goals, to share helpful information and resources and to inspire, hopefully making your journey as an entrepreneur a little bit faster, easier, and maybe a little bit more fun. Now, to help with that, I have guests every week on the show who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And this week's guest is John Fisher. John has over 35 years of experience in business and information technology, including several roles as senior executives in corporations and as a management consulting, all along along applying technology solutions to critical business problems. He's the president and founder of a company called Rethinking IT. It's a firm that helps clients take the mystery out of technology decisions. Boy, that's that's a company that's needed time because I think most of us find technology decisions mysterious, everything from small ones to big ones. But he's also a certified score mentor, and I think we've talked about score on this show several times before, but for those of you who don't know what score is, I'm sure John will tell us a little bit more about what that is, but he's a mentor there. He's also a frequent speaker at industry events on topics such as negotiations, leadership, and strategy, and he teaches graduate-level courses at DePaul in IT strategy, social media, negotiation, leadership, and project management. John has received numerous awards for his work, and he's also on the board of directors of several nonprofit organizations. He says he and his wife have a small farm in McHenry County, which is in Northern Illinois, with two horses, three goats, and a hound dog named Guinness. So with that introduction, John, thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show.
0: Thank you, Doris. Glad to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me to the show.
1: Our topic today, I should have mentioned in the intro, is... Creating a winning elevator pitch. Now, John, I have to start out by asking you, what exactly is an elevator pitch? And why are we talking about this on a show for entrepreneurs? Because I always thought an elevator pitch was something you told a recruiter about when you're hunting for jobs. Why does a business need an elevator pitch?
0: Actually, an elevator pitch is good for a lot of different things. Job hunting is one of them. But also, it's a, it's a good idea for businesses, small and large, to have a very simple way to explain what it is that you do and the value that you bring to the table. So the elevator pitch is, is really a short and emphasized short description the classic definition is that it's, uh, it's a talk that you can give in an elevator as it's going up 10 flights of stairs. So you've got about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, to let someone know what it is that, that you're doing. So this is a good way to introduce yourself. It's a good way to introduce your business. And it's a good way to clarify things, uh, because a lot of times people have... Um, Uh, a lot of different things that they want to think about when they're talking about their businesses. And so this is a way of honing in on the things that are most critical.
1: So how did you become so passionate about this topic? I know this is a topic you speak about quite a bit. How did you become so passionate about it?
0: Actually, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, As you mentioned, I teach at DePaul University, And one of the courses that I regularly teach is called a capstone course. And that's a a course that the master's candidate students take toward the end of their academic career. And what I noticed was, and I noticed this throughout my career in technology, is that technology people are not necessarily good at summarizing They're very good at details. They're very good at talking about how things happen and the components, but they're not necessarily good at an overview. And so I developed this for a lot of uh, the technology students to get them to understand that they have just a few seconds to get people's attention and then have uh, less than a minute to actually engage them in a conversation. And that if they talk for five minutes, they'll lose their audience. And so um, so that's really how it came about. I, and like I said, I've done this for a while with not only my students, but also my staff when I was a CIO and a manager in various capacities in, in technology. I constantly had to sort of remind people to slow down and talk in terms of value as opposed to details on what they did.
1: What happens if people don't have an effective elevator pitch?
0: One is that people may not understand what you bring to the table, because if you talk way too much, they zone out, and so they're not going to be listening to what you say. And a lot of times people try to put the most important things at the end, and they, they start with a sort of a context setting setting. And that loses people, so the consequences are that you might meet a potential client or a potential uh, employer or you know a potential partner, whatever, and yeah. you lose the ability to to introduce yourself in an, in a way that they will remember who you are.
1: if you're not putting your best foot forward, making yourself memorable, making people understand what you do quickly so they can decide whether or not. You're someone who they can help or can help them. You miss out and somebody it'll be somebody else's opportunity, right?
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. You'll simply miss that opportunity. A friend of mine actually got a job at a um, block party years ago. People in technology have a problem in that no one really knows what it is that we do. right? <laughs> she was talking about what she does. And they said, oh, there's a guy, you know, just over here sitting on this lawn chair who I think is looking for somebody like that. And so she went over and introduced herself and eventually got a job as, as a strategy consultant for his company. You know, she wasn't even looking for a job. She was just at a block party. And the same thing can happen in terms of clients. You may not be looking for a client, but you may have a conversation with someone at a gathering. They say, oh, wow, that's that's interesting. I was thinking that I need that kind of service or that kind of product. Let's talk more. So that that's really the goal of the elevator speech is to get somebody to say, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk more. You get them engaged.
1: Let's talk about the elevator pitch in the context of investors, because I know one thing that startups are always very fixated on is finding money. How does an elevator pitch help you with investors,
0: do you think? Investors by nature are looking for hidden opportunities. You know, they're looking to invest in something that they believe can be successful. And if you can't explain what you do very quickly and very succinctly, then a they're not going to be interested and b they figure your customers are not going to be interested either. So having that crisp talk or crisp one or two sentences helps them clarify, oh, this is the business problem that you're solving with your company. And, you know, you're able to actually communicate that well, which is a valuable commodity.
1: Does it matter whether you're bootstrapped or whether you're seeking outside investors?
0: No, it's the same. I mean, it's it's the same for investors as it is for customers. I'm on the, the board of a couple of startups. And one of the startups, which uh, you know was eventually ill-fated, the CEO had been introduced to an investor, and the investor called him up. And the CEO was driving in his car, and the investor said, "Well, tell me about your company." And the CEO didn't have a good answer for that. He he said, "Well, you know, I mean, I'm driving, and I'm not ready to talk about this yet." And he said, "Yeah," the investor said. Well, then you're probably not ready for for our investment either. And uh, end of the call, you know, you always have to be ready when that opportunity strikes to at least get people interested in what you're doing.
1: You know, I've heard other stories like that, too, where people are trying to get a hold of an investor and. Lo and behold, they think they're going to leave a voicemail message or they're going to set up a time to talk later and they get them on the phone out of the blue and they're not ready for a conversation of any kind. I even was talking to one investor a while back who said that his team used to like to kind of test companies on purpose just to see if they were ready on the spur of the moment. Because from his standpoint, that showed whether or not the business team or the the senior exec had enough mental flexibility and adaptability to just go with it on the fly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that you know, in many ways, being an entrepreneur, you're a salesman all the time. You're always looking for opportunities for your business, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I have picked up. The phone uh, instead of letting it go to voicemail and talk to some salespeople who weren't ready to to sell, and it's like, well, then you're not a very not a very good salesperson then. You know, it's the same thing same thing with entrepreneur. You know, you need to have that on the tip of your tongue, and that's why the elevator speech is so important because it gives you something immediately to fall back on. In other words, if you do it and you practice it and you've got it down that's how you open your conversation you don't have to think about it you don't have to it becomes instinctual and you just say hey here's what i do
1: let's talk now about what an elevator pitch should be what a good one looks like what should an elevator pitch accomplish do you think
0: what i always say is is if you can't get their attention then they're not going to buy whatever you're selling whether it's yourself or your company and and so a good elevator speech Gets people's attention. It's something that may be catchy, maybe, you know, interesting, maybe something that is unusual. And so getting their attention is, uh, is I think, a primary thing. Because if they don't have, their, if they're not paying attention, then you're lost. And so the way I look at it is that there are kind of four parts of an elevator speech. And, and the first is, who are you? And you want to avoid labels, like, you know, I'm a consultant or I'm an attorney, because that brings a a connotation with it that people have in the past of who they've dealt with that are consultants or attorneys. So in many cases, it's just, hi, I'm John, as opposed to I'm John Fisher, because they don't necessarily need to know your last name. In the first instance here, it would be better if they just, you know, if it was more comfortable. And then what do you do? You know, that's the second part, is it? And most of the time, that's some kind of an action verb, like I help or I engage or I deliver or I build. And so, you know, I build widgets, but then you need to know who it's for, because one of the things that you'll want to do is you'll want to engage people that are appropriate for your business and you'll want to make sure that that person you're talking to is the right kind of person for your business just just as an example if you only work with small businesses you want to find out you know you want to say i i help small businesses grow the revenue and so if you're a large business not going to be able to help you because it's a more complicated process or i haven't I don't work well with large companies or whatever you want to say in there. But, you know, you want to be sure that you qualify so that if whoever you're talking to is a large company, then you can say, oh, okay, well, you know, that's not for me and go on to the next person. And then the last one is sort of what's in it for me from the perspective of the of the person you're talking to. What what value do you bring to the table? As I said, I help small business increase revenue or I help companies in uh, you know manufacturing companies reduce waste and those are very boring i guess i could say boring sorts of things so you know you you want to convey a message that there's a value you know who are you who do you do it for what do you do and what value does it uh, does it bring to the table so it's kind of a four step process that i've seen
1: so do you think people should have different elevator pitches for different audiences. I mean, you know, I'll tell you when I first started doing consulting, I had a hard time because there were several things that I could do and it was hard to come up with a good elevator pitch. And I'm sure that's true of other kinds of businesses that maybe have more than one offering. So what advice would you give for people in that, that circumstance?
0: yeah absolutely you should have multiple elevator speeches you know depending on the audience depending on what you're trying to do so you might have a different elevator pitch for an investor than for a uh, customer or for a partner and if you have multiple things that you do because uh, uh, you know it's it's funny that you said that because i had the same issue when i started my company is that i was thinking, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a, an ex-CIO. I have all kinds of strategic ways to, to help companies strategically with their technology transformation. And while people were interested in that, they weren't interested in hiring me for that. But when I talk about negotiating software contracts, then there's like, oh, wow, okay, that's that's something that I need. You know, so I had to change my elevator pitch to that And what I do is I I say I take the mystery out of technology decisions because I can help people buy software. I can help people evaluate their IT function. I can help them see have they got the right people in their technology department or are they doing the right things with their technology. So I try to broaden that into just technology decisions and sometimes a broader perspective like that will generate a question. Say, so, well, what, what do you mean by technology decisions? And, oh. and that's where you're now engaged in a conversation. And that's what you want to have.
1: Yeah. So how much should you prep for the next set of questions? I mean, I suspect that... If your elevator pitch is well crafted, it almost naturally leads into certain kinds of questions. Is that something you should factor in when you're putting your elevator speech together and and then preparing for the next step? Because it strikes me that you can have a great elevator speech, but then if people go, Oh, that's interesting, tell me more about X, and then you don't know, <laughs> then you ramble off and you you mumble, 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 then all that work you put into your elevator pitch kind of goes down the drain. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Yeah, that's correct. And that's what I always encourage people to do is that you have, let's say you have three minutes or even 30 seconds to get them engaged in with your elevator pitch. And then you might have three minutes to get them more engaged and for you to qualify them and them to qualify you. And then you might have... 30 minutes to tell them more about what it is that you do and how you can help them. So I encourage people to have multiple multiple things like that. So have a have an elevator pitch, have a kind of a one-page document that summarizes what you do for your company. Here's here's my types of clients that I have. Here's the types of services and do that briefly and succinctly. Uh, Because as I said before, you're engaging in a conversation with these people. And so one thing that's important in that second step is to have a series of questions as well, not just statements about yourself, because in a sales pitch, the more you get the client to talk, I think the more the better able you are to sell them something, because as you hear their conversation, you can find out what their challenges are. So asking the questions is, in many cases, the next step. But some people want to know, hey, what do you do? How do you do that? And so typical response to that might be, well, there's there's a lot of ways to do that. But I'd like to find out what your challenges are, what, what things are, are keeping you up at night and can see, can I solve that? Can my business provide an answer for that? So have statements, but also have key questions for your person that you're talking to.
1: That is great advice, because I'll tell you one of the other mistakes that I made, and I'm sure I'm not alone, was that I didn't spend enough time qualifying potential clients. And so as an entrepreneur, you're Most scarce resource, even though it feels like it's money, is probably actually your time. And boy, oh boy, did I waste a lot of time because I thought, you know, I can do so many things for somebody. I'm sure, you know, the answer for a good salesperson is just to say yes and then figure out how to do it. Except that if you don't really think this through, you'll waste a lot of time having multiple conversations with a client a potential client that's really not a good fit. So I think mm-hmm. what you suggested as a framework really resonates with me because I think if I'd thought through some of that more carefully, I could probably have eliminated a lot of conversations that really went nowhere. Is that been your right. experience right. as well?
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, as you know, in sales, the second best answer is no. The best answer is yes. The second best answer is no. And the horrible answer is maybe um, because then, you know, you're going to have to spend a whole lot of time trying to decide if what you do fits with what they need. So getting to yes is the primary reason, but getting to no is the next best thing. Because then you can say, okay, not a good fit. Thanks a lot. Glad to meet you. If you ever need what I do, give me a call and uh, on to the next. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you, you do have that. And I had the same problem, Doris. I mean, I had exactly the same problem. You know, here's all the different things. I can do a lot of different things. But when you're trying to sell something to people, they want something concrete. And they want something that they can understand what is in it for them. And what the value is that you bring in and then you can sell them other things. But the first part is to to engage in something that, you know, based on your experience will be successful, because a lot of times, like you said, you know, salespeople say, well, you know, I'll just tell them anything in order to get the sale. Well, that doesn't work because if you can't deliver it, then it's bad. And, And so you've got to select your clients as well as having them select you.
1: Great advice. John, I need to ask you to hold your thoughts for just a second. We need to take a quick break right now for station identification and a word from a few of our sponsors. So stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back with John Fisher. This is Doris Nagel, and you're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. You took us through the basic elements of a good elevator pitch. What's your advice about how to get started with your?
0: elevator pitch. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I I hesitate to do a a kind of a negative start, but what I always say is when you're introducing yourself, keep in mind that no one wants to listen to what you're doing and no one wants to buy your product. So if you start with that in mind, then you'll formulate something that will help them understand the value of what you do. It's sort of like when my kids were starting to drive. I, I would explain to them that everyone on the road was trying to kill them, and that if they kept that in mind, then they would then they would watch out. And so, well, I guess there's some truth yeah. to that.
1: And and that's actually a little painful to hear, I'm sure, for some people. Which is, and that that is really is a problem for people who are desperate for a job, but it's also a problem for entrepreneurs who are just getting started. A lot of times people are so excited about their idea and so passionate about it, about it that it may blind them a little bit, do you think?
0: Oh, absolutely. And while enthusiasm is a wonderful thing, rambling enthusiasm can turn people off just as easily as, as focused enthusiasm can get them engaged. And so I always start with that. Like I said, I hate, hate to do that because it's a negative approach but it brings to, to mind that, you know, that you've got an uphill battle trying to sell something to people because people people generally don't want to buy what you've got, you know.
1: Well, all right. So I think most businesses have some sort of elevator pitch, whether it's effective or not. It's a different story. How can you tell whether your elevator pitch is working or not or is good?
0: Well, um, it's a it's a constant sort of feedback loop. So as we were saying earlier, you should have you should have multiple elevator pitches for different situations. You know, you you listen or you engage with people. Ask them, is this something you're needing? Is this something you're interested in and see how they respond. So it's, there's nothing as they always say in sales, you've got to ask for the sell eventually, right? you know, do you want to buy this? Do you want to engage in this? And so is it working? If people are asking you questions, it's working. If people are paying attention to what you're saying as opposed to zoning out, then it's working. And in the same way, if they're not asking you questions, it's not working. So it could be a fairly simple process here to see if it's working or not, And and just because it doesn't work with one person doesn't mean that that pitch isn't effective. It may be very effective with someone else because people approach things differently. Some people like details. Some people like big picture. You know, some people approach these things differently. But one of the things that I like to keep in mind is that most of the time people make decisions based on emotions, not necessarily on facts and figures and so you've got to get them emotionally engaged and that's really one of the purposes of the elevator speech.
1: You know, I think one of the other things that I've observed, I'm sure I've done it too and and not done a very good job, but when I listen to other people introduce themselves, they have a difficult time with their value proposition and how they really add values. They might have a great opening intro, and you go, oh, that's interesting. And then you want to know, well, how would that help me or one of my colleagues? And then things get lost. It's, you know, features and benefits or something, but the quality drops off. How how would you recommend that people really focus on their value proposition as part of their elevator pitch?
0: Well, that's, that's the trick, right? I mean, that's the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is um, how do you have something? How do you create a better mousetrap, as they always said years ago, right? And you need to think about, as people have said in the past, marketing people like Kotler and, and others, what is the job that you're doing for them, right? So people need somebody to do jobs, they may need somebody to mow their lawn. They may need somebody to fix their car. They may need somebody to fix their technology. And so think of it from that perspective in that you're doing a job for them. And what what job is it that you're doing? And what is it that they want? So, you know, you have to keep that in the forefront that it's not that you're providing a wonderful, you know, if you, if you build it, they will come idea. It's that you know they will only come if they're interested in what you're building, and so keep that in mind. As opposed to you know, I have this wonderful product and it does this and that, and and again, I don't know how many how many technology folks along my career I've had try to pitch some sort of business idea to me, you know, and I and I say, well, okay, what have you got here? And well, it's a it's a utility that helps programmers program better and. It's like, well, yeah, nobody cares about that. Well, what do you mean? It it helps everything. It's like, well, you're 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 trying to, right? You're trying to sell something to people that helps your job, not their job, right? They assume you know how to program. If you're telling them I'm building something that helps them program better, they're either going to be insulted or they're going to say oh, I don't I don't need that. So you you've got to think not that it's a wonderful product but that it does wonderful things for people. And what are those things? Yeah.
1: Well, I think your example in the tech world is particularly appropriate because that's where you may want to have more than one elevator pitch, or you may want to have like an onion. You might want to have a basic elevator pitch and then something more detailed depending on who you're talking to. So you know, if you're talking to me, you need to keep it really basic because unlike you, I, I've i never been a chief information officer, nothing remotely close to it. No one would ever even let me get close to those kinds of things. So for me, if I want to understand what you do, it needs to be at a really basic level. Like I always tell people, tell me what you do, just like you would tell your mom or your next-door neighbor, right, because that's my level of understanding. But if you happen to be talking to somebody who's really tech-savvy, then, you know, that's obviously way too basic. You need to be able to get quickly to the next level. You know, and it's funny how it happens even with experienced entrepreneurs. I had a guest not that long ago, and I asked him to tell me about his company. And his description was, we've developed the blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah softwares, which I took meant, wow, if you're in the tech industry, you probably go, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know you did that. But for me, I looked at that, and I had to go back to him and say, I don't have a clue what these things are. These are industry terms. And if I don't understand them, I can't introduce you like that. So I thought it was funny that even sometimes successful business people forget who their audience is. Sometimes.
0: Yeah, they they absolutely do. And you know, I mean, just as as an example, you know, of that, I do these seminars on elevator speeches, and I had someone who was into these um, prosthetic devices and the programming involved in all the new, you know, biometrics and and all that stuff. And the person was talking all about that. And it was like, well, in reality, you know, you create devices that help people walk, right? That's what you do. Well, well, yeah, that's the end result. But I do all these little details in between. I said, nobody cares about the details. They care that you help people walk. That's a value anybody can understand. It's not just tech jargon.
1: And this might be a good place to put in a little plug for the workshop that you often do with SCORE, the organization that I mentioned early on. John, why don't you talk just a little bit about SCORE and why that might be a great place for people to start if they're maybe struggling or just want a helping hand.
0: Yes, uh, SCORE is an outgrowth of the um, Small Business Administration. So it's, it's not part of the Small Business Administration, but it's a partner. SCORE has about 10,000 volunteers all across the country in about 300 different chapters, I think. And the thing with SCORE is that its purpose is to help people either start or grow their business. And because it's small business, I mean, these are generally businesses that are under 10 million in revenue. What happens, I think, you know, just like you were saying earlier, somebody might have a tech solution or they might have a solution to a problem and it might be something that they sold very easily at the beginning, but then all of a sudden, nobody wants to buy it anymore. And so if you have that kind of challenge with your business, SCORE is a wonderful resource. Just going to the the website SCORE.org, there are templates for business plans, there are financial templates, there are templates for marketing, there are all sorts of different things to help. Plus, there are these 10,000 mentors across the country who probably have been in your situation, who have been small business owners who have been executives in large companies as well and would know how to sell to large companies. And so, so score is a, is a great resource, absolutely free. And um, we have a lot of really good mentors that help out. And what's happening now with COVID is we're doing all this over video. So I have mentees in California and Alabama and Florida and uh, Arizona Whereas before, I just had people from the Chicago area. And so, one of the positive impact of COVID is that it's increased our scope here.
1: Well, and you do, SCORE does regular webinars. I think there's a phenomenal mm-hmm. library of webinars on demand that you can find at their website, but they also do regular webinars and as COVID permits, in-person workshops, and I know you do one that focuses on this very topic, right?
0: Yeah, I do the yeah Elevator Suite Seminar. I've done that in several places. I mean, used to do it at different libraries, uh, even did one in the Microsoft office in Woodfield. Yeah, and so now we're doing them as webinars instead of doing them as, uh, as seminars, which there's good and bad to that but nobody has to travel nobody has to be near anyone else and so we have a variety of workshops and we've sort of separated them into how to start your business and how to grow your business so right. if you're thinking about starting a business then we have a series of webinars that are on that on how to incorporate how to you know think about taxes how to start marketing how to how to evaluate whether your idea is a good idea or not or how to evaluate whether you're a good person to be an entrepreneur, because it's hard work. It's really a lot of hard work to own your own business, as, as you know. And so, you know, we have that. And then the second group of, of webinars is focused on marketing. You can do digital marketing. You can do customer segmentation, you know, or operational efficiency, how to make your company operate more efficiently. So we've got a lot of different seminars on different topics and going to the SCORE, .score northchicago.score.org is the website for the chapter that I belong to. You can see a lot of local seminars there.
1: So SCORE.org is a great resource if people haven't found out about it yet. Tons and tons of great resources both online resources at score.org, but also there's most likely a local chapter wherever you might be listening, and you can be put in touch with great advisors and people like John who uh, just have a wealth of experience. A couple last questions before we let you go, John. You know, I had on the show another SCORE mentee a couple weeks ago. Chris Benac, is talking about a pitch deck And, you know, it occurs to me that the elevator pitch or elevator speech is kind of like a mini version of the pitch deck. Do you think that's a fair characterization?
0: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely do. I think, you know, the difference in a a pitch deck is that normally you've already done the elevator speech to the investors and you've gotten them interested and now they're giving you an hour of their time to talk about your business. And so the pitch deck is kind of the next step that you were talking about earlier. But it's the same thing. You've got to get their attention. You've got to focus on value. You've got to focus on what's in it for them. And, you know, you've basically got to focus on the the key question is what business problem are you trying to solve with your business? Because it's got to solve some problem or it won't exist. So it's a good follow up there.
1: Yeah, it just strikes me what the two of you both have really talked about is really almost like a spectrum of helping people. And, you know, I I keep thinking about my marketing friends talking about the marketing funnel, but really kind of what you're talking about is almost like a, a funnel leading a potential customer, a potential investor, a potential partner, where you're starting off at a very broad level and then, Digging more into the kinds of questions that you want to know about them, and anticipating questions that they might ask about you, evolving into a, a full-fledged pitch deck. But it seems to me that it's almost like a, you know, your, your elevator pitch or speech is really kind of the foundation of what it's all based on. Is that a fair characterization?
0: Well, it's, it's certainly the starting point, I think, or it's a good first step. The elevator pitch, it's like an iceberg, right? I mean, you see the tip of an iceberg, but there's 90% of the iceberg is underwater. So, you know, the pitch deck is part of that 10%. And the elevator speech is kind of the tip of that 10% because, you know, if you don't draw them in, they're not going to give you an hour. And if they give you an hour and you do a good pitch deck, then they'll give you, you maybe a couple hours to explain things and they'll dig more deeply into what you're doing and uh, consider investing. And yeah, it's a funnel, it's just like the sales funnel. You know, you spread a wide net looking for a lot of prospects, either clients or investors. You qualify them, you narrow them down, you get them interested, you engage them in a conversation and you uh, you win a few and some you lose. And, and that's, that's what businesses do.
1: What are some of the most common mistakes you've seen that business people make with their elevator pitches or speeches?
0: You know, I think the biggest mistake is that people get into the how right away. And so they they're so excited about what their product or service is that they want to explain how it works and how it does what it does. And that's, that should be in response to a question as opposed to an, an initial statement here. So that, that's, I think, the biggest mistake that people make is that they they get too early into the details. And then I think, you know, you hit it on the head. I think the second mistake is that they don't have the, the follow-up. They don't have the what's next. It's, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then it's like, well, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> um, you know we right? We do this and we do that. And so have that pitch deck in your mind here of here's the things that we do. And here's, you know, if you want more detail. And the other thing is sometimes you can't always just make the entire sale at that time. You get them interested and then you say, okay, let's set up a time to talk. I really want to understand what what you do, what your, your challenges are. And I want to help with what your challenges uh, have been, and so let's have a, an actual conversation about this. Let's set some time aside, and so that lets people know you're interested in it, and you're also prepared. I think I think that's the biggest thing, and and the questions. You know, you got to have questions here.
1: Are there any good resources out there? Maybe Score has some. Are there others you've seen where you can find examples of really effective elevator pitches or speeches or ones that aren't, maybe are not very effective?
0: Well, you know, as with everything, if you want to do anything, you look up on YouTube, right? So there are several people, right? People on YouTube that have elevator pitch conversations or LinkedIn Learning has several things on that, but I think they all kind of boil down to the same thing of, you know, who are you, what do you do, and why should I care? And that really is the, you know, is is the thing here. So, you know, for example, you know, if you've done any sort of networking, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are, you know, staffing firms, And they have a variety of ways that they sell their services. And, you know, there's lots and lots of them. But one elevator pitch for a staffing firm is to say, you know, I make sure companies hire the right people. And that can be a massive benefit for companies because hiring the wrong people can destroy your company. And so just saying that, you know, I make sure companies hire the right people, that's that's a good elevator pitch. That's a way of saying, Here's what I do, and here's why you should care. Talking about increasing profits for companies. And if you want to get more specific, you know, increasing profits for midsize manufacturing companies. You know, I help companies, you know, that have operations in India or operations in Vietnam or operations in the Philippines. That gets people to think, oh, wow, okay, this person can help me because I have that sort of situation and so, like I said, the elevator pitch really is there to engage a conversation, to start it and to have and to have a, a legitimate business discussion with people. So it could be a, a 10 words long. That could be your whole elevator pitch. And then you go on to the questions.
1: Well, in the couple of minutes we have left, I would love for you to talk for just a minute about your own company, Rethinking ID. We haven't really touched on that. What does Rethinking IT, do and why? Here's a chance for you to do it. Well, I'm <laughs> just teasing yeah, you.
0: Yeah, really, really, I'm on the spot now, Doris. Um, <laughs> well, I always say that I always say that somebody has to rethink IT, and it might as well be me. That's one way I bring some humor into the thing because I don't know of many companies that are happy with their IT function for whatever reason, whether the IT function is doing the right thing or whether the IT function is not communicating that they're doing the right thing, a lot of times companies have challenges with technology, and especially these days with the technology transformations that people have had to go through in order to survive COVID. So, you know, my company helps people take the mystery out of technology decisions. That's my elevator speech. There's a lot of mystery in technology, and there's a lot of gobbledygook in technology. And what I try to do is help people put their technology function on a business footing so that it it actually solves whatever business problem that they happen to have. And it's as simple as that. You know, I do a variety of things, but overall, I I try to have a business perspective from what what their technology function should do. How is that?
1: I think that's good. I think um, there's no question technology is so essential for all of our businesses today. I, you know, there may be a few out there who are untouched by technology, but I don't think very many. And it won't stay that way for long. The fact that there are so many options and so much right. techno speak and So many companies do a really bad job of explaining what it is they do and why it's important and why what they do is different. So, you know, just trying to sort through all that is is a big challenge, I think, for tiny businesses and for really big businesses, too. So I'm glad you're out there doing it. You know, John, one last question before I let you go. If people are interested in learning more about Rethinking IT or they're interested in learning more about SCORE and finding a mentor with SCORE or workshop or maybe even being a SCORE mentor themselves, or maybe they just want to shoot the breeze with you about their elevator pitch, what's the best way for them to reach you?
0: Well, I've got a website, RethinkingIT.com. And so that's a good way that has my contact information in there. And if they are interested in SCORE, the place to go is score.org. That's the general SCORE website. And the, you know, the northchicago.score.org is our chapter. But score.org is a good place to start. And, you know, Rethinking IT has my email address. And, uh, uh, if people are very interested or interested in, in learning more about elevator speeches, just send me a note, and we'll get together, and i uh, glad to talk to people about this. If they happen to have a technology problem or a technology decision that they need to make, I can help them with that as well.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you for that, generous offer. And, again, John, thanks so much for being on the show this week. It was great having you.
0: Yeah, thank you, Doris. It was a lot of fun. I enjoy it.
1: It was a lot of fun. Thank you again. That's our show for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you especially again to our guest today, John Fisher, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Rethinking IT and also a score mentor and frequent speaker on today's topic, developing a winning elevator pitch or elevator speech. You can find more helpful information and resources on my website as well, globalocityservices.com. There's a library of blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources. My door is always open for comments, suggestions, or to just shoot the breeze. Email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakes radio, lakespluralradio.org. I promise you'll always get an answer back from me. Now, be sure to join us next Saturday. At 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern, we'll have another great guest and topic. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.